Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. I know where to find him. I think of all of the sad things that happens to us through the years. I remember a lady that at one time had been a very beautiful, lovely person, but somewhere in the process of living, she lost her husband. And soon as her only child was old enough, a son left, and she never heard from him again. I was sort of connected with this person away because she came to church every once in a while. But she lived a far distance away from the church and so I guess used that as an excuse for not being in church more. But anyway, it came time for her to die and she knew that she was dying over a period of time before she finally made it out of this world. And during that time that she was in the process of dying, She was greatly preoccupied by the thought of her son and said again and again, Oh, if I knew where I might find him in order that I might be in touch with him. And then she got a promise from me before she died that if the son showed up at the time of the funeral or after that I would remind him of the greatness of the love of his mother. Well, she died. I buried her. And to this day, I have no contact, no trace. Never heard a word from that son to know whether he's either living or dead. Oh, that I might know where to find him. Coming from the depth of a dying mother's heart. We get something of the same feeling when we read the book of Job and know something of the shattering experience that this man had. The thing, the question that he had of God, oh, that I might know where his seat of judgment is, that I might be able then to go and take my case before him. Because you remember Job as being a man of great possessions. And finally he was reduced to, to nothing, nearly, only a spirit living. And then he was in this position to be searching for God, not being conscious of him feeling that God had left him and God did not know about him. Oh, if I only knew where his seat of judgment was, I would go and put my case before him. Is that not strange when we read Job and then we read the book of John? And they're practically dealing with the same things only about two to 3,000 years later. And some of the, the same problems and the same ignorance exists among us and even down into the day in which we live. And here the writer of John is telling us that in effect that God is in search of us. In fact, it took me some time before I really understood that the Bible is not man's search for God. The Bible tells us about God's search for man. And there's a big difference. It's not that man has searched out God. It is that God has searched out man. And as he is still in the process of trying to search us out and to find where we are. Well, it's not an ancient problem. It is one that's very much with us today. 
Now the book of Job was written in order to be able to try to further to understand God and give a clear picture of God. You know, one of our problems today is the same as the one was with Job. The reason that he was not able to make contact with God was because of the negative or the bad, faulty thinking that the people had of his day and that he had of God. If he'd had a clear picture of God, he would have known two or three things and he would not have had such agony of heart and soul. But we can't expect Job to know as much about God as we do because he did not have the perfect revelation of God as we have. But if you had been with Job and all of these things that happened to you that had happened to Job, and then you had three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, to come to you, and all of them the same message. Now, the most two important chapters within the book of Job is the first two chapters. And when his three friends began to make long speeches to him, they began to tell Job what was wrong with him. Well, how do you expect Job to have a clear understanding of God when no one else did? And so three of his friends came to him and in the midst of his trouble when he was too sick to die, found him outside the city on the ash heap, on the garbage dump. And without any friends, and his friends came, three of them came to him and began to talk to Job. And, and all of them, when you strip away all the fancy words that they had to say, they said, Job, there's only one thing wrong with you and one thing alone, and that is you're a sinner. Isn't it interesting to note that no later than this past week, the same fuzzy concept of God uh, came up about one who was ill. And you know, since I have my leg busted, it's been interesting to hear some of the comments that people make, and you have to wonder what's behind the comments. Such a things as, well now, why don't you grow up? Do you think that's what God would have you to do to ride a motorcycle? Or such as this, well, have you understood what the Lord's trying to say to you? And I think some of them have come to the point and said, well now, if you hadn't been out there riding that motorcycle and sinning, you wouldn't have a busted leg. <clears throat> I can't help but think about Job's three friends that he had. They said, Job, now listen, now, somewhere or another along the way that you have sinned, and the Lord is right in the situation right now, and he's got you in the hot seat. Now, you admit your sin. You confess it to us and to God, and then things are going to be all right with you. Isn't it interesting to read those first two chapters of Job and know what's going on? We know today because we read the story. But listen to this. It says the sons of God appeared before him and Satan was also with them. Now it's interesting to note that Satan was mixed with the sons of God. The Lord said to Satan, Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been down on the earth walking around. He said, you have? He said, yes, I have. He said, you see my man Job? He says, yeah, I saw him down there and you've really got him fixed up. You've, you've got a fence around him. You've given the man everything. Now if you let me go down there and take what he's got, well, you're going to find a different man. And so the Lord said, all right, to Satan, you go down and take what he has. And all these things happened to poor old Job. He lost all of his oxen, his camels, and his horses, and his servants, and his sheep, and his goats, and, and everything uh, just fell apart. And even the house that his family was living in fell down and killed everybody but his wife. Everything was wiped out. And old Job remained true to what he thought to be the truth. So it says again, the sons of God appeared before him, Satan also with them. And, and the Lord said to Satan, Satan, where have you been? He says, I've been down on the earth walking around. He says, you have? 
He said, Jess, did you see my man Job? He said, yes, as I saw him. He said, but if you'll let me go down there and touch him, if you'll let me go down there and touch him, a man will do anything to live. If you'll let me go down there and touch him, he'll be a different man. He'll cuss you to your face. The Lord says, all right. Now here's an interesting thing. The Lord says, all right, you go touch him, but don't you touch his life. Or better put, to see the truth of it, don't you touch his soul. That's mine. And you know, poor old Job, he broke out with all this illness, too sick to die, broke out with boils, and a hideous thing to look at, and in fact, rejected by his people and town, and he went out and sat on the garbage heap. Now, beloved, there's two or three things I want to call to your attention. Note, note where the dilemma of Job started. Note where it took place, was worked out. It took place wherever God in his kingdom is. It took place wherever God in his kingdom is. The only thing that Job had to do with it was being the man that he was. It wasn't because he was a sinner. It wasn't because he had done anything wrong at all. And notice the second thing. Do you know that God knew precisely where Job was at all times? And may have been Job's uh, era that he thought that he didn't know where God was, but you take note of the fact that God knew where Job was at all times. And I want to tell you something, that hasn't changed one whit. You may think and feel that you have lost sight of God, but folk, I want you to know there's no hiding place down here like that old hymn goes. There's no hiding place down there. The psalmist had it right. He says, wherever I go, I find that God is there, or God is conscious of me. Well, that's right. God is conscious of you at this very hour. You. It doesn't make any difference whether you feel it or you don't feel it. God is conscious of you at this very hour. God was not lost. It was Job that had lost his way. And his friends added to it. You are a sinner, Job. God doesn't do this to people who are right and upright. Well, says who? The most perfect one that ever came upon the face of this God-given earth that we know as the Lord Jesus Christ was completely and totally without sin, completely and totally, and he suffered the most horrible way of life that anyone could ever possibly have upon the face of this earth until at last he was nailed to a tree alive. Well, was he nailed there because of his sins? They had a fuzzy concept of God. You see, Job thought that God... Oh, I can appreciate this. For a long while, I had a concept of God, and I got it from my peers and from older people. I had a concept of God as a, as a child that, that the Lord had a black book, and he carried it around at all time with a pencil. And every time he saw me doing something I had no business of doing, he was stealing watermelons. He had written it down there. He stole the watermelon, and the thing was green. Yeah, I stole a watermelon. And I couldn't eat the thing. It was green. I wasn't a very good judge of watermelons. Well, my brother was helping me. It was his fault. <clears throat> you know. Job said, if I knew where his judgment seat was, as if God had set up a judgment seat here and was ready to judge everyone, I could go before him. And then it also speaks of the problem that we had with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when Christ came on earth, you see, the concept that they had of Jesus before he got here, the Messiah. When the Messiah finally came, 
they had such a faulty concept of him they could not see truth and it stood right before him personified. They were looking for perfection but they had such a fuzzy concept of it that here stood the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfection. And they thought he was in league with the devil. You see, it does make a difference what we think about God. It does make a difference what we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to come to the place where we square our thinking with the scriptures. The Pharisees were very sincere in thinking that they were the keeper of the law. And the law was the most important thing in the world. Law was even above man. Well, if you got sick back then on the Sabbath day, it was too bad. You couldn't be waited upon and intended to until the next day. But Jesus said, man was not made for the law. The law was made for man. Man is the highest thing in the creation of God. Well, what was Jesus really like? He came as one who was meek and lowly in spirit. What does Jesus say about the greatness of the love of God? By action, he went among those who were in great need and distressed. He went among those who were hurting. He went into the marketplace where people were bought and sold. He walked to dusty roads where he could meet the people who were beggars and who were blind. He went to those places where people were hurting and where people were in need. The wrong concept of a God and we have a wrong concept of man. It's no wonder we don't try to get closer to God because we have such a false concept of the greatness of man, his capabilities. Well, man is great, and he is capable of many things. But, beloved, he has a God that he is to answer to. Job thought he was good enough if he could find the judgment seat, that he was good enough to go before it and plead his cause. Well, we're told and we know and it's the only way that we can stand before God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Is through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a position within the kingdom of, of God not because we're capable of keeping the law. We were not capable of doing it. And we have a place in the kingdom of God simply because, as John told us in our scripture this morning, because God through Christ gives us the power to become the sons of God. And he didn't say that we got power within ourselves. He gives us power to become the sons of God. We have a place in the kingdom of God simply because God has acted. God was able to see how weak we really were and that we could not do what we wanted to do, much less what he wanted us to do. And so the law failed. And so it is by his grace and his mercy as it is revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I have access to the kingdom of God. Oh, if I knew where to find him. Well, that's strange that that would be asked today. It's even more strange when I find the person that I have known for several years and now is about 40 years of age and had the wonderful privilege of being the, when this person was a young person, when she was a young person, to be her minister for about six or seven years and come to the astounding place a, a few days ago to know that when the question was asked to this person, that's a very intelligent person, was asked her whether or not she was saved or not, she could not answer the question. I was just astounded. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. 
but yet it was so. She really seemingly did not know whether or not she belonged to the kingdom of God. How can this be? How can this be? I know where to find him. I know where he is. I know how we can get a hold of him. Is there anyone here this morning that if you had to answer the question, if some friend asking you whether or not you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would have to guess about it? Or you would have to, to say, well, I'm not sure, I, I don't know. Beloved, if you were here this morning and you were in such a position, listen to what is trying to be said this morning, both in the Old Testament and the New, that the fault is not with God. It's on your side. I wonder what more God could do than he has already done to give to you his son. And the only thing that you have to do is to believe in him. To believe in him. I don't care how you feel about the situation, that you believe that this is so, that what you read is so. When John tells us that we were given the light, that we were given a son, that we were given the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah is here. Do you believe that? then if you believe it, you are saved. Now you may not have some type of a great emotional experience connected with it, but do you believe this morning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came in love to you and to me, filled with forgiveness and compassion for all of us? I don't care who you are. I don't care what yesterday was, how bad or how terrible. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care how hideous your sins have been. I am saying to you that there's one that is among us this morning that has the power to set that sin aside, all of them. He paid for it already. The price has already been paid. Is all you have to do is claim it. And how do I claim it? By simply saying yes to you, Lord. I trust you to deliver my soul. I trust you to deliver my soul. I've been about this business a long while. That's all I can say this morning. I trust the Lord. I can't deliver it myself. Neither can you. It's an impossibility. But I'll tell you one that can deliver your soul, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's already paid the price for your sins. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I could present my case to him. Well, beloved, I don't know what kind of misery and pain and agony and suffering that you happen to be in or whether you're in any at all. But I would want you to know this morning that God is not trying to get even with you. He is not trying to write anything. I do not understand suffering. I don't understand. It's a mystery to me. It's locked with God. I know the greatest things that I have came to me through suffering. And that is when my mother gave birth to me and when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross. I have access now to the kingdom of God, suffering. I don't understand it, but I know it's so. I do not know what God is doing with your suffering. But beloved, if you think that God is trying to punish you when he has deliberately sent to you the Lord Jesus Christ in order to tell you a different story than Job knew about, it wasn't even so with Job. God was not trying to punish Job. His friends were wrong. They were wrong. Even if they had a sin, they still would have been wrong. It happened in heaven. And I want to tell you 
this morning, beloved, the things that happened to you too. You think they happened to you. They do happen to you here on this earth. But do you know where they take place? Somehow, some way, in the infinite wisdom of God, I don't understand it, but he's got to say it's okay before it happens. I believe that. I believe every word of that. Not by chance. It is not by accident. Only we as people talk about accident. It's no accident with God. Yes, I know where he is. The place to search for him. It's interesting to note where people have found the Lord Jesus Christ. I picked out two or three of the most common places, you know, where we see the Lord. You can look for the Lord in the lives of other people. That's what the man was saying so many, many years ago. I would have fainted if I had not hoped to see the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, beloved, to strip away that and put it in our words today, it simply means this. Yes, I would have fainted if I had not seen the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. If I had not seen evidence of him, well, of course I would have. I'm not that strong. I look about and look to you, those of you who are committed and dedicated, how forgiving you are. I see it. And when I see great forgiveness coming, you see a lot of people say it's easy to forgive. Well, it's not easy to forgive if you've really been hurt by somebody. But when you see one has been hurt and then forgiveness comes, I never see it, but what I don't realize is that I am standing in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's beautiful. Of course it is. And where I see extended love, compassion, and understanding, I realize that this is not the work of the devil, but this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And where I'm conscious of it, I realize that I'm standing in his presence. When I watch your dedication and your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and as you go about working it out in your life every day, I realize that I am standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, let us be careful how we treat one another. Because you see, the truth of it is, we're dealing with more than just flesh and blood. You're dealing with something that is eternal and greatly loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's deal as much as within us as the Paul says to be kind and considerate and understanding. The Greeks had a thought that wherever there was order, there must be a mind behind it. Beloved, this time of the year, I remember a person, more than one, was able to discover, though they had been searching elsewhere, but in the springtime, the sheer beauty of nature, seed time and harvest, the coming again of the flowers and the trees. I know that what Paul said he says you ought to be able to look at nature and know that there's a God. Look at it. Enjoy it. Let it speak to you of something that you have 10,000 times over 10,000. What is here upon this earth eye has not seen. Think of the beauty of this. Eye has not seen. How beautiful it is out there this time of the year. Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for you. And look in your own life. I remember a man that had grown weary searching for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he said, I have grown weary and I'm given up. And in his desperation, and in mine, 
I said, well, you've looked everywhere else and haven't found anything that you can understand to be either the hand or the face or the act of God in your life or around about you. I said, now, why don't you look within your own heart and soul? Why don't you check your own mind and try to ascertain where these good thoughts come from that you have? And the good things that you purpose within your life, where do you think they come from? And I remember this man so very well. About three days later, he came back to the office, and I knew that something had happened. He says, this is the strangest thing. It's unbelievable to me. He says, here I have searched everywhere and gone places and done things, looking and searching for the Lord Jesus Christ, and only come to the place where I discovered the witness of the Holy Spirit within my own heart and soul. I'm a changed man because I realize that here and he did this is the tabernacle of God the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit now isn't that interesting that is right the scripture says so we're told about it beloved we go around we talk a good religion and it's beautiful and so much of it is a reality within our life and that is, we say that we have the witness of the Holy Spirit within our heart and our soul. Well, it simply means this. The witness of the Holy Spirit, beloved, is simply those good things that you purpose to do within your heart for people and for your church. Unless the Holy Spirit, you couldn't have a good thought unless this were not so. The Lord is witnessing with your spirit and calling you to commitment and to a dedication to do good, to sow seeds of kindness, to be forgiving, and to walk upright before him. What does the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God? My friend, let me say to you any time that you feel that within your heart and your soul, you just be aware of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Oh, our Father, Help us that we might be more conscious of this one that is so close to us. As the scripture tells us, even closer than the air we breathe. And may we be able to give him such an expression within our life that people would take note of the fact that we are with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 